0: Having been there a few times as a delegate, the lot. Hang I mean, on a second, well, you've kept okay, this completely buried forever. Well, only ever is an underage delegate. So, well, what does an underage delegate mean? Someone you that's don't... not 60. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. OTB AM, live, weekday mornings from seven thirty on the OTB Sports app.
2: Oh, the f- shape that will get. You all The Fans, down. Can we not lock it? It's a fact. I love playing mind games. I am talking about facts. I always said if I was Aladicio, they'd probably say I was more of a tactical genius.
1: I answer questions on anything. Right? <laughs> Religious, politics, uh, health, you know, sexual uh, problems. Look at his face! Just look at his face! None of you, except for those two, have done anything to justify the money that you earn. None of you! Disgrace! And I suggest you shut up and
2: show more football. Welcome along to Team 33, I'm Call. Coming up on tonight's show, we're looking ahead to the weekend coming up in the Premier League. We're going to be discussing Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's position as Manchester United boss and what the hell is going on with Everton right now. I'm joined in studio by Philip of Power Egan. Phil, how are you? Live in the flesh, good to see you. Yeah, how are you doing? All good? All good. It's nice to be back in studio after uh, a brief period away in the far di- distant lands of Donegal in the hills. But uh, I I forgot to bring football special down for you though. Ah yeah, look, I've i
0: I've uh, a brother living in Donegal now, so I have it on tap, not actually on tap, but if you know what I mean. And in fairness, it's got it's getting to that time of the year now where the clocks are going to go forward. So, um, yeah, or they go back actually. I have no idea. Fall back, yeah. The so concept of time back, you have an extra hour, hour of bed, anymore anyway. Basically, it's going to be getting darker in Donegal. So yeah. it's good Every, to studio.
2: Owen Sheehan saw me for the first time. He called me a blow-in coming into Donegal. it's Or coming into Dublin, rather. It's like, um, you know, when the American tourists come over and they see the, the lovely lands of Donegal during the summer and they think, this is a great place. I'm going to buy a house here. I'm going to buy a holiday home. Yeah. And then they spend a winter there and they leave that house forever because it's dark and dreary and depressing. But... Hopefully I won't get to that stage with uh, the uh, living in Donegal so far. But that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about the weekend coming up in the Premier League. Shane Hannan is going to join us on the line as well. He's in Monaghan at the minute. He's going to be on in about five minutes. He was at the Old Trafford game, the 5-0 Liverpool win. I mean, that was really stark. I think that was the biggest performance in terms of shock value that I've seen since that 6-1 loss when Alex Ferguson was in charge and it was just it really was for me a nail in the coffin for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer I'm not sure how you feel
0: Yeah I think as well going into the game obviously United weren't in good form but there was a general feeling that they turned it around for Liverpool they they turn up you've seen Liverpool teams in the past have been able to up their game when United come to town or they go to Old Trafford but it was just the way it happened so quickly the, the first goal goes in then the second goal, then they start losing the heads, uh, obviously Pogba gets sent off, there could have been other red cards, Ronaldo was lucky to stay in the pitch not much has been said about the Bruno Fernandes tackle as well, that wasn't great either just the way they, they had no shape about them and yeah, I, I think you're talking about the final nail on the coffin, we've been here before with Solskjaer where you think it's looking pretty grim, you think of when they lost to Liverpool at Anfield and then they lost to Burnley at Old Trafford. And you thought, he is under serious pressure. Then they went pretty much unbeaten for the rest of the season. And they finished in the top four. And that was grand. You think of the Spurs game last season, the the 6-1. It was Mourinho. You think, that is not good. But they turned it around. And they finished second. There was a spell in January where they were top of the league. This just feels different because, obviously, it's Liverpool. That's going to sting. But also... The difference with the United team that lost to Liverpool and the United team that lost to Spurs last season, he has brought in Rafa Varane, he's brought in Jaden Sancho and he's got Ronaldo there as well. It's not acceptable anymore. So I don't really get where they're going with the he's got three games to save his job. If they win all three games, is Ali back and does that mean everything's grand again? I don't think so. But the, the, if they don't move quickly, then they're basically just playing for European places again whereas I, I think if they if they moved and they got somebody in like an Antonio Conte he could rescue things he could certainly get them back up the table but also get the the best out of the squad and then it just means next season you hit the grand running we've seen this so many times at United they don't start the season well and they'll have patches where they look unbeatable but at the end of the day you don't really fancy them to win any trophies yeah it um, it's almost the adva- anniversary to the year since
2: Tottenham, uh, hammered United at Old Trafford, and that's coming up this weekend as well. I heard an interesting theory about the the whole situation at United is that the board have always gone for the extremities of both sides. So they went Louis Van Gaal and Jose Mourinho, who are absolutely you know staunch in their belief and what they're doing, and very uh, adversarial to- towards the adversarial towards the board and towards anybody but themselves. Solskjaer is the same but the opposite he's so far away from that that it, 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 it's almost bringing them back to level from where they were under Jose Mourinho under, under Louis van Gaal but he will never bring them above level because he cannot go that, that extra step so it's an interesting time at Old Trafford and to talk more about this is uh, Shane the Hammer Hannon who is on the line as well he was at Old Trafford in the press box
1: Shane how are you getting on? keeping well that's keeping well I'm, uh, I'm feeling so sorry for you Gunnar to sure listening to all this like it's he's a good guy he's a good man and he's um he's certainly brought man united forward I think from from the moment he took over but uh, look I have to agree with Phil that he's probably reached the uh, the apex of what he can do uh with this united team um and that's not to say he's a bad manager he's just maybe not the manager that's going to take united to the to the level that the fans expect and hope for. Like I, I was sitting, as you said, in the press box on on Sunday, uh, in absolute awe of Mo Salah, in absolute awe of Bobby Firmino, of, like in all of that Liverpool team generally. And there were United fans just before half time when especially when the fourth goal went in just before half time, um, fans were turning on each other. There were there were a couple of mini scraps and potential scraps in the stands. Um, probably people just getting absolutely fed up with each other and, and taking it out on their fellow fans. Um, and the atmosphere was was uh, abysmal. And the, the worst thing I can say about it was that, yeah, there were loud, loud boos at half at ha- half time as as Solskjaer and the players went off. But the the atmosphere at full time then they were almost being clapped off at full time because the fans nearly felt sorry for them, which is probably even more of an indictment of, of what happened on Sunday afternoon. It's um it's a tough time I'd say to be, to be a Manchester fan for sure. But yeah, Conte is calling I think.
2: Do you think Antonio Conte is the man then, Shane? Because, look, Jose Mourinho, Louis van Gaal, as I said, they're very adversarial characters, as is Antonio Conte. So are United just going, reverting back to the exact same thing they did before Solskjaer, in which maybe the better option might be to go for someone really in the middle who, who hits that sweet spot? I, I'm not sure Antonio Conte is the man to bring this, this forward.
1: You see, like Conte he's been there and done that, and you could say, look, he's Mourinho had won Premier Leagues before he came to United, but they were more in the, the distant past, shall we say? Like Conte won the Premier League in his first season with with Chelsea by seven points as well, um, and it was Pep's first season with with City. I think it was Klopp's second season with Liverpool. It was it was a moment of uh, new beginnings, and and he was the manager who really stepped up. I think he can control that dressing room. I think he controlled the egos in the dressing room. Um, we probably need a manager. United need a manager that's that's not exactly going to throw the hairdryer, but someone who's going to uh, assert their authority um, in a dressing room full of egos and stars. I know Paul Pogba played under him at Juventus as well, so potentially that holds on to Pogba and uh, signs his new contract. If he's going to improve his performances, United fans will want him to sign that new contract. Um, but I just don't see the alternatives. Like you, we probably United probably missed out on Pochettino. Zidane, I don't think is the man for the job. Um, I know Steve Bruce and Roy Keane are available lads as well. They're they're both looking for jobs. I'm so not sure if, if Old Trafford is too big a job for them, probably. But um, I just think Antonio Conte, he's been there, done that. He's won the Premier League. Um, he, he demands that respect and authority. And I just think his style of play possibly suits United as well. So it's it's a marriage made in heaven in some ways. I don't exactly think it's heading back to the Jose Mourinho kind of um, higher but uh, t- time will tell he can take over he doesn't like to take over teams mid-season Conte that's one thing about him but uh, United need need a change quick I think they're going to obviously give him give Solskjaer these three games um, and and the international break kicks in then so a perfect time to, to bring someone new in but if he loses to Spurs at the weekend uh, he will be gone at the door that evening uh, with, without a shadow of a doubt uh, talks of Darren Fletcher maybe taking over as an interim manager in that period but look we'll see what happens he's got these three games I, the, the thing I hate to see lads is that I know there are some United fans out there hoping and praying that Solskjaer loses on Saturday uh, or that we lose some of those three games against Spurs Atalanta and City just to get rid of the manager which really you're not a real football fan if you're hoping your team loses at any point you know uh, whether things are going well or going badly so that's one thing that's kind of left a a bad taste in many mouths yeah,
2: well, it'll be very interesting to see how the management uh, situation develops over at Old Trafford over the next couple of weeks. I personally would love to see Antonio Conte take it just for the uh, head-to-head clash he would have with Ronaldo two weeks into <laughs> to uh, his management this season there. Let's get into the Tottenham Man United game then. As I said, this is pretty much almost a year since uh, Tottenham absolutely hammered United out the gap uh, last October. Going into this game, both teams are in pretty bad form. You know, Spurs have won two of their last uh, five games. United lost, lost, draw, loss in their last four games. So they are not going into this in good form. Uh, one thing I do want to talk about here, Phil, and it's a topic that has come up with United all the time, is their midfield. It seems to me that Spurs have the perfect midfielder that United uh, could do with, and that's uh, Pierre Hoyberg. I think he's the brand of midfielder that United really want, and he's really shown uh, that he's a top-level midfielder over the last couple of years.
0: Yeah, I think one thing that has to be brought up as well with with Conte, if someone like Conte came in, that he would improve the players, because to me, they don't look like they're being coached properly. A midfield is the biggest... um, Problem and they were just all over the shop. But I don't gen, like I don't actually believe that some of the like obviously McFred get a lot of stick and when Solskjaer brings in McTominay and Fred, everyone ridicules him. But I actually don't think McTominay is a bad player. But I think he would thrive in a better coach team, and someone like Conte could could do that. Like I was watching the game and you, you looking at the way Jurgen Klopp sets up his teams, I'm thinking he'd love a player like McTominay, all energy you know, puts a shift in and is capable of scoring goals from midfield. But United don't get anything out of their midfield at the moment. It's not functioning. It doesn't function at all. So that's where they're obviously losing games against better opposition. They don't get a foothold in the game. hoiberg would improve them because, let's be honest, it's not that hard to improve them. In terms of the actual game itself, I'd say Nuno of Santo was very happy that... United got hammered 5-0 cuz it took a bit of the spotlight off him because Spurs were dreadful against West Ham. No shot and target in the second half. Just very like it's basically it's like watching Mourinho again. Mm. I know Nuno played under Mourinho so he's like, he's almost like a mini Mourinho, but even his his uh, his sound bites aren't as exciting as Mourinho and it's all just pretty grim and yeah it, it doesn't make for a great season for Spurs. Uh, you know They, they obviously won their, their League Cup game against Burnley, but Harry Kane hasn't been the player that he's shown in the last few seasons. We know he tends to start season slowly. The whole Manchester City thing, how has it affected him? Son is their main man now, and if Son doesn't perform or if he's kept quiet, then Spurs are a problem. I think it's actually a nice game for United. It's yeah. all about whether there's a reaction. It would suggest from some of the things we've seen during the week with, I mean, it's getting to be a weekly thing with some of these United players, the apologies, yeah. but it sounds like there's going to be a reaction. And if there is, Spurs is actually a nice game. If if United are up for this, they should beat Spurs.
2: Yeah, well, if if you look at the table from just goals for, you know, Chelsea top of the table, they've got scored 23 goals, Liverpool scored 27, Man City on 20. Tottenham have nine. Yeah. They've scored nine times this season. The same as Brighton, who, you know, we all know about their struggles in front of goals in, in, in general. But I mean, for if you're comparing Brighton to Tottenham, Tottenham have Hurricane up front. They've got Hong Min Sun, they've got Lucas Mora, Deli Alley, goal scorers. Yeah. Brighton do not, and they have the same amount of goals. So there there is a clear issue there. And I think that's been a a struggle for Nuno in general. I think when he took over Wolves and took them to the Premier League, they did what Leeds did they did what uh, Sheffield United did that first season they surprised a lot of people yeah. by how good they were so they scored loads of goals and then they reverted to a more defensive system and even the year that Matt Doherty left fully fully more defensive than that following season so Shane I know you have to go so I'll get your thoughts on this Tottenham game is this a game that is actually winnable for United because of Spurs' struggles in front of goal and and maybe a potential reaction from the players because I saw even Paul Pogba came out uh, not not so much in support as he was uh, blasting. I think it was the Sun who had a headline about him uh, giving out to Solskjaer after the game. So, um, are you expecting a reaction that is going to be capable to win this game for Manchester United, or is it, um, is their form just too out the window for this?
1: Oh, lads, like this is this is not the a matter of sitting on the fence, but like. Manchester United could win this game 4-0 or lose this game 4-0 on Saturday. Like, that's um, it, that's um, th-
2: are... summed up though, Shane, isn't it? Like, that that's <laughs> just, just that shows us that they are just not a well-coached side if that's the case with every game.
1: Yeah, And but the thing is, I think that the former is more likely, I think they're more likely to win this game because, because Ole Gunnar Solskjaer always seems to find that result that he needs when he needs it. And that's that's something that's kind of probably maybe kept him in the job before, uh, before this dower period. But... Like the pressure that's on the team this weekend is is something else. I I feel like players in, in in the training sessions this week know that there's so much at stake on Saturday. They know the manager's job is at stake for one, um, but their own reputation is at stake as well. You see, you you had talked about Spurs' lack of form in front of goal there, but if any defense based on last weekend, if any defense is going to give uh, Spurs some chances, uh, it's going to be that United defense. They, they're uh, Maguire and, and uh, Lindelof all at sea even Luke Shaw had a terrible game Juan um, Bissaka was, was okay but I mean when you're letting so many chances go on to David De Gea's goal, David De Gea is not uh, one of the best goalkeepers in the world and he didn't even play that badly against Liverpool, none of the goals were, were of his fault and yet his defence still allowed him to concede five um, if they give those opportunities to Spurs and if the Spurs that we saw at the start of the season that beat Man City 1-0, they got on that run of, of a few winning games and then they did the Tottenham that, that we all uh, know and love. They started losing games again and lost, I think, three London derbies in a row. I mean, that's that's the type of uh, results form that, that you see from Manchester United at the moment, that you get a couple of wins in a row, you start to lose. Uh, I'm worried about Heuberg up against this United team as well. And I, I, the, the, uh, the the tactical switches from, from Solskjaer are going to be interesting. I don't think he's necessarily going to change his usual shape. It's too late in the game for that. But personnel have to change. Uh, McTominay and Fred won't start together on Saturday. They they can't start together on Saturday. I agree with Phil. I think McTominay is a an excellent footballer. Fred shows glimpses of being an excellent footballer. Uh, plays well for Brazil at an international level. But uh, long term, he's not the answer that in that position. And I don't think you can play the two of them together. Like I, I watched Donny Van de Beek, you know, cooling up, warming down, whatever you want to call it, by himself in a in a near empty Old Trafford on, on on Sunday after the match and with a coach and I just felt sorry for the man he was just running you know, box to box sprints um, the only man on the pitch doing some work after the game and if that man doesn't get doesn't get any action on, on Saturday where is he ever going to get any action in this United team I mean January is closing in and there's no doubt he's going to leave if he can't get any game time and look I would throw Donny van de Beek in I would nearly throw Edison Cavani in into in, in that team as well wherever you can fit him I know maybe
0: Ronaldo what do you
1: do with Ronaldo? <sighs> this is the thing like this is the thing Ronaldo Ronaldo <laughs> nearly has to start but that's there's the really,
0: problem though and if you're Solskjaer you've got three games you have to say do you know what if I go in, I'm going to go down swinging yeah, drop. Ronaldo you're out of here yeah.
1: <laughs> it's a big call though and the fan like it is a huge huge call and and the thing but the thing about Ronaldo is and it's the same with Bruno Fernandes against Atalanta I was sitting there going Bruno is brutal today he, he's just not having a great game at all and then you look at the end of the game you realise he's got two assists, and and that's just what he can do. You, you can't really take him off the pitch. Same with Ronaldo. Scores that last minute header against Atlanta. Scores the late winner against Villarreal. Um, he's just someone you can trust for the big moments. He See, can do here's, nothing the, here's for
2: the here's the thing. Jean, sorry to cut across you, but I've I've been having this discussion with loads of friends because obviously it's a hot topic at the minute. What do you do with Ronaldo? There's a, yes, Ronaldo has won these games, but there's a strong argument that United would be winning these games a lot better and a lot more smoothly if Ronaldo was not in the club at all. Because the dramatic effect that he has on the team in terms of the amount that they can press, the effect on Jaden Sancho, the effect on Bruno Fernandes, the effect on the entire midfield, there's an argument that United would be in a much better position and winning those games much smoother without having to rely on a last-minute Ronaldo goal if he wasn't there at all. So I, I, I just don't know. It's a really difficult situation. I agree with that. But I, I think he... I, I agree with Phil... If you're going down, go down swinging, drop them, take your chances actually, and hope it pays off.
1: I actually think, though, for a game like this where the pressure is on and where United need to win and where they need the big players to stand up, I actually think Ronaldo could have a big game on Saturday. Now, look, it's easy to say that. Ronaldo's going to have a big game, of course. But I honestly think when the chips are down, when, when the pressure is on the manager's shoulders, when clearly Ronaldo has a relationship with Solskjaer, ex teammate of his, to seem to get on well on paper. and. Um, I just think Ronaldo could have a massive, massive bearing on the result on Saturday. You, I don't think you can drop him from the start. There's me talking about putting Edison Cavani into the team, changing the thing around, putting Donny van de Beek in. Uh, look, Eric is a man sitting on the bench, and, and the word is that he had a you know, a, a run-in with Solskjaer in a team meeting after that Leicester defeat uh, when, for some reason, he played Harry Maguire, uh, an unfit Harry Maguire, who had an absolute shocker. Uh, Eric is another man sitting on that bench. Why not... He's not going to do it, but why not drop Harry Maguire... Uh, for the game he's captain yes but throw in Eric baye see what happens I mean he, this is the game where he needs to throw every one of his plans out the window go with something different the English media don't like to touch on the fact that the, you know, Harry Maguire is, is playing abysmally they, they point to other things in the team but the reality is he's not playing well maybe he's still not fully fit after that recent injury but maybe you throw Baye in with Varane Varane is back for this weekend uh, drop Lindelof and Maguire see what happens I don't know he's going to need to make some huge huge calls on Saturday and if he names the same team or similar the playing against Liverpool and he goes on to lose then it's bye bye uh, it's bye bye Ollie. I think and it's
2: bye bye to you Shane as well I know you have to go so uh, we'll chat to you later thanks for that cheers lads thanks a million right before we take a quick break we'll move on to the uh, Leicester and Arsenal game two teams going into this with a, a carbon copy of each other's season so far they're level on points and uh, the exact same season in terms of wins draws and losses so two teams that didn't start very well but have sort of started to pick up a little bit of momentum um, where are you in Arsenal Phil because I, at the start of the season I called them a mid-table side and I still fully stand by that they will probably end up near enough mid-table don't yeah. think they're going to be challenging for top
0: four No. but uh, it seems to be improving at least well it's always a good sign when you're not talking about Arsenal yeah. because that means things are going okay Whereas if they have one of those Arsenal performances or results where there's a, maybe a granite jacket red card thrown in that everyone's talking about Arsenal where are they going what's Arteta doing what are they trying to achieve but they're, they're not touching the top four we've just talked about Manchester United and as bad as things seem for United at the moment they'll still finish top four because the top four is very much set in stone I think um, Leicester have come so close to breaking into that top four they have they've been there and the last couple of seasons, obviously, they've let it slip through their fingers in the, the the last day of the season. So they are obviously better equipped to challenge for the top four than Arsenal are. With Arsenal, I mean, they, they're unbeaten since that defeat to Manchester City. They obviously lost to Chelsea as well. They lost to Brentford. They lost the first three games of the season. Two of those were games they were always going to lose. Mm-hmm. Chelsea were always going to beat Arsenal. City were always going to beat Arsenal. At the time, we always thought we thought that's not a good start to lose at Brentford. Since then, we've seen Brentford really put it up. They obviously took a point off Liverpool. They battered Chelsea for the last fifteen minutes. But really
2: fun side to watch.
0: They're, they're great, and you know, they're it's very uncomfortable. Leicester obviously got a win there last weekend, but again, you know, they came away from it, and they were very happy to get the three points. And they actually got their winning goal on a counter attack from a Brentford set piece so with, with Arsenal the, the fixtures were a bit kinder to them obviously they had the really standout performance first half in particular against Tottenham but I, I think yeah I agree with maybe you're looking at 7th or 8th place Yeah. that's where because at the moment and I know we're going to talk about Everton later on as well I think the likes of West Ham are better than Arsenal I think Leicester are better than Arsenal so there's and obviously I've mentioned the the top four as well so there's six teams I think are better than Arsenal and so it'll be a push of them I think to finish in the top 6 uh, I don't know we, we don't know where it's going with Arteta a bit like with Solskjaer they haven't got the pedigree behind them mm-hmm. whereas obviously Arteta was involved with Pep Guardiola's setup but is he the kind of manager he's going to get them to a certain level bring in some decent players but then that's it I have to say you now I watched them against Leeds the other night so boring just the first half, I was struggling to stay awake. And Leeds are an exciting team, but Arsenal just look sometimes like they're overcoached, where they're not expressing themselves. And yeah, I like they're fine, but there's going to be there's going to be plenty of weekends where we're talking about another Arsenal performance and and where they're going. Mm. What's
2: interesting is it's almost, it's like Manchester Man, Manchester City light, essentially. They're they've got all the ingredients, or no, sorry they've got all the, the process behind it but they don't have the ingredients to actually make it. The players just aren't really that good in terms of the, the penetration there. Like the midfield is, is, is coming and the, they've yeah. got young exciting players with with uh, Emil Smith-Rowe and Saka but they're just not at that level just yet where they're the same as Bernardo Silva or Mares or Foden. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how that develops. One good thing for Arsenal I guess is that they're not conceding as many silly no, and goals and I think that comes down to Kieran Tierney and to Tommy Asu as well coming in at, yeah, at right back. Ramsdale play.
0: deserves a mention because imagine signing for a club and before you've even played a game people are, are laughing at you and writing you off but he looks far more comfortable with the ball at his feet than Bernd Leno. Confident. Um, he's very confident. He's, fiery. He is and that, that's what Arsenal need because there's too many players that don't say enough on the team and you mentioned Tierney. Tierney is great but he's getting injured all the time mm. and that was always going to be an issue when he signed he was obviously injured and when we see him he's great and he gets up to speed and then he gets injured again Uh, the interesting tweak that he he made Arteta was against Palace he started Smith-Rowe and Martin Odegaard Odegaard was awful against Palace took him off and now Smith-Rowe is starting and he's not starting Odegaard now it's only the last couple of games but I I do like the look of Smith-Rowe you mentioned Saka. I think any of the teams in the top four would love to have Saka. That that's kind of where Arsenal are at, where some of their best players could be taken away from them. And you like, how can they compete with Manchester City in terms of the manager that City have, the budget that City have? They can't compete with Chelsea's budget or manager. People would say they could be similar to Liverpool in terms of the, the transfer dealings, but the difference is Klopp turns these 30 and 40 million pound signings into stars Arteta hasn't done that yet yeah. and we don't know if he can
2: Yeah it'll be interesting to see how it develops I think the Odegaard situation is interesting because now with Lacazette coming in yeah. they've changed the formation around so it'll be interesting to see how he uh, finds his way back into the team Just before we finish up on this then you know, Leicester is still fairly heavily uh, driven forward by Jimmy Vardy, top goal scorer this year again 7 goals so far this season in the league uh Daca obviously getting off the mark uh, nicely now with four goals in Europe uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um how's this game going to go for you?
0: Yeah, I I would be leaning towards Leicester, but it's a it's a tough one to call and, and Tielemans deserves a mention. He's been brilliant. His his ability to strike a ball is quality. Interesting that Brendan Rodgers felt his side were conceding too many goals. They obviously conceded two against Palace and Vestergaard was part of that. Johnny Evans has come back. He's reverted now to a three at the back. It's something they did with Liverpool when Liverpool were after starting to leak a few goals. Rodgers went to a back three, so he's got a back three of Sayonchu, uh, Evans, and Armarty, and they look a bit more solid. So, I th- I think i would be leaning towards Leicester, but again, it's it's a good test for Arsenal. Where you know the, the fixtures were cruel to them at the start then they got a nice run, they've built up a bit of momentum, so this is their first real test since that Manchester City game in terms of, well, okay, look, they, they passed the test of the North London Derby with flying colours, but since that game this will be a nice little indication of exactly where Arsenal are at, but I always, like, Ben White obviously went off injured the other night, now the talk is that this is down to there's been um, a few bugs in the in the squad, so they're not, they're not serious injuries, but yeah, the the closer Arsenal get to their their strongest eleven, obviously, the better for Arteta. But I would still, if you were gonna push me for a winner, I would say Leicester.
2: Yeah, I think they're going into this in a pretty decent form. Uh, we turn to Merseyside. We'll start with Everton because I guess they haven't really been discussed in all that depth uh, so far this season, mainly because it's been fairly steady under Rafa Benitez. But shock to the system last week, um, a five-two loss to Watford. And it wasn't so much the loss to Watford that is almost a, a shock to the system. It's the manner of the loss, and it's something you don't see too often with Rafa Benitez's sides. And that's a, it was just completely capitulated in defence, um, yeah. very uh, shaky in terms of Rafa's reign there because of obviously
0: his links with Liverpool.
2: Um, what's uh, what went wrong with Everton last week? Firstly,
0: well. I think they're obviously missing Calvert-Lewin is a big loss to them. And obviously Richardson is back in now, but he he wasn't there. So without them, you're starting with Solomon Rondón and I I don't want to be too harsh on him, but when he came into the team, he looked a bit heavy mm. where he hadn't got enough game time in him. And you know, they're still pulling out these results the the performance at Old Trafford and Damari Gray and Andros Townsend when you consider the they cost the combined 1.8 million you know it looked like a shrewd bit of business but we saw this with Everton last season as the season goes on you know and the sample size becomes bigger then things start to level out a bit and the problem for Everton is they just lack quality in certain in certain areas and I think as well when I watched them they lack a bit of mobility and just I suppose the killer was that it was Josh King as well a player that uh, blink and you would have missed that he actually played for Everton yeah it'll be one of those in 10 years Josh King you'll talk about when he played for everything like honestly I don't even remember that but he took his goals really well you're right though it's very hard to remember a Rafa Benitez team capitulate like that they're always known for being set up some people would say too defensively where you think back to when he was the Newcastle manager in that Manchester City game where they basically played to keep the score down and frustrate City you can't obviously do that at Everton. It's a tough one for him because the Liverpool link there is. People there wanted him to fail before he even took charge of a game, but he had started quite well. So now we're kind of getting into the the tricky stuff, and uh, the fact that it was a home game as well. They struggled at home last season. Obviously, there wasn't fans there, but the fans expect. Um, you know, this is a this is. A, he's not obviously. I don't think Rafa Benitez is anywhere near as good as he used to be. Mm. Um, I thought it was a strange appointment, um, given the fact, obviously, with the Liverpool link. I just thought Everton could have gone elsewhere. But uh, Wolves are not that bad. Like This is a tough game for them.
2: Yeah, they're going into this game in pretty decent form as well. The Everton signing situation is, is always one that very it really intrigues me because it seems that like, no matter who the manager is, they always go for the same player. So if you look at uh, this year, Rafa Benitez came in, Damari Gray, who obviously is a, a decent signing, a decent player, Andros Townsend, again, both can light up the game um, like three to four times a w- uh, every couple of weeks and uh, then just trail off and do nothing for the rest of the season. And then the the year before that, Ricardo Ancelotti, they brought in, um, was it the year before that, he brought in Alex Iwobi yeah. and Moise Ken. Before that, Kevin Morales at the club. And and all these players are really, really talented players. Yannick Belasi is another one. They're all very, very similar. Mercurial wingers who are amazing when they're good, but just not that good then for 80% of the season. And it always then confuses me why everyone get uh, They wonder why they're inconsistent. It's because they've been signing really inconsistent players. And there, there just seems to be the consistency of inconsistency with Everton over the last couple of years, and it's continuing under Rafa Benitez. My worry with Everton and Rafa especially is that they will, at some stage, come short of goals. And you cannot compete at the top eight level if you're not scoring goals.
0: Yeah, and we mentioned calvert and he's obviously out at the moment. and He's been one of the most positive aspects of Everton's play for the last couple of seasons. He's obviously got into the England squad off the back of it and just a real handful that occupies defenders and even if he's up front on his own he's that good uh, and he's that much of a handful he can take two defenders out of the game so that's a big loss As I said Rondon should not be playing for Everton I get Rafa Benitez went back to him because he's a player he knew mm. from Newcastle same with Andros Townsend Townsend also showed that playing for a Roy Hodgson team that he can play in a disciplined team in terms of having to hold your shape and that's what Rafa Benitez demands but the worry for Everton is they're obviously looking to to kick on they've pumped all this money into trying to improve the squad they're moving into a new stadium but for all the money they've spent they still have a lot of mediocre players they have players that on their day can be excellent but as you said not consistent enough so it's just going to be more of the same I feel Mm. and the problem is Whatever about it being more of the same under Angelotti, more of the same under Rafa Benitez will really knock it down well with Everton fans because they'll put up with it if they thought yeah he's a former Liverpool manager but if he was bringing them up the table they think we put up with it but if it's more of the same and it's a former Liverpool manager that'll get that'll get old pretty quickly
2: Yeah, Carlo Ancelotti brings something different as well he's a, but there, he's a, he's a step above where Rafa, got to, I know Rafa's a Champions League winning, yeah. ma- winning manager as well, but you know if you, you, the the Everton fans would have been thinking, okay, it's Carlo, it'll come, it'll yeah. eventually come. Whereas with Rafa, I just don't think he'll get that time. I think it'll be, it's not working, it's too defensive, it's never going to progress, and they'll just get rid of him. I just I can't anthem, see it being uh, a success.
0: Ancelotti, some of the, I like, every time some we, of them were dreadful. I I, actually, do you know what game stands out because it was so bad? Brighton and Everton last season at the Amex Stadium was one of the worst games I, I saw last season. It was absolutely awful. Ended 0 0, didn't it? Not at all, yeah. And it just, you know, one of those games where you watch it and you think the amount of things I could have done during that game rather than watch it. But look, I mean, we, we love football, we watch it and you, you don't know what's going to happen. But I don't think it was all rosy in the garden with Ancelotti. I just don't think the, the way it ended, we didn't expect that Real Madrid would be coming knocking on the door. But. Yeah, Wolves have been unlucky in games. Um, I think the the win at Southampton was a big one for them. Uh, the fact that him and I scored in it, but you think back to the United game, even how they lost that game, mm. I'll never know. But yeah, again, they they have players that are a little bit inconsistent, but they certainly are a lot easier on the eye than who we mentioned earlier in the the program, Nuno's starting eleven when he was at Wolves.
2: Yeah, they, um, they're they starting to get pick-up results as well, which is the most important thing. I think they'll be a, a solid mid-table side. I can't see them going any further than that. But before we finish up then, let's uh, talk about the other side of the Mersey side, Liverpool, who are second in the table, absolutely flying, look like they are at the, the level that they were a couple of years ago. So my question to you is, where is it going to go wrong? What, what would have to happen to this Liverpool side for it to start to maybe drift off to where it was last year it was the Van Dyke injury what would be worst case scenario for this Liverpool side
0: well I think the big worry for Liverpool fans is the African Cup of Nations like you're losing Mo Salah we don't know exactly how many games he's going to be out for um, it's gone from I've seen it from the range of two games two league games to eight games in total obviously Liverpool are still in the league cup maybe one of those games could be a league cup game it's not only Salah they're missing out on. Mane is gone as well. Nabi Keita goes. Um, so Salah obviously is the one. For like The Van Dijk injury was this time last year. But Liverpool were top of Christmas. They obviously, before Christmas, they went to Palace and they hammered them 7-0. And then they drew that game at West Brom. And then January was just all downhill. And January, if things have ever gone wrong for Klopp at Liverpool it's always been January when he started there you know he, he talked about just the, the calendar and the, the busy schedule he was always used to having a, a christmas break at dortmund but he he was able to adjust but now the the afghan is going to be a big a big test for for liverpool because you're losing Salah. and they just don't have the depth there they they've, they've obviously they're more. I think they're better equipped now to deal without Van Dijk than they were last season because Kanate has come in. Matip seems to be holding up at the moment because they can now manage his game, his um, his game time. Gomez hasn't really got a look in, but Nat Phillips obviously did a great job last season. He's he's there, and you know he ha- will have so much confidence from last season in midfield. They look a little bit light because they're picking up injuries. They didn't replace one of They have a few options there, but it's the front three obviously the the famed front three Jota is now made it a four so you take out Salah and Mane and you're left with Jota and Firmino and Curtis then you're looking Jones at well, maybe. Curtis Jones could play higher up you're looking at maybe a formation tweak you're looking at whether um, Minamino could come into that front three or Divock Origi. but they're just not Salah and that would be the, the, the concern for, for Liverpool did you see Egypt have added Mo Salah to the school curriculum and rightly so so
2: double double Mo Salah in the why afternoon we have any of that
0: stuff why didn't we have Jack Charlton classes in school because then I would have paid attention yeah I,
2: th- I think I would have did a lot better in life if the, absolutely
0: I just I actually found myself in class often drifting off thinking about games that were coming up or yeah, so I, I think the, the Mo Salah curriculum would definitely be right up my street. Yeah,
2: my, my teacher used to do this thing where every question they asked of me, they would uh, describe it in football terms. Yeah. So they would, they would ask the question because, I mean, that's the only way they c- could uh, get it across to me, apparently. And it has stuck to me since because now when I'm explaining something, I explain it in football terms as well.
0: That's I tend to remember things to do with football as well in terms of important dates whether it's anniversaries or birthdays, I can kind of relate them back where I think back, yeah, that happened then around a football match, so I don't forget dates. But yeah, I think we've got a few issues if we can't um, remember other stuff.
2: Well, the main thing is to n- never organise your wedding around the weekend of a big match, regardless of what it is, because yeah. everybody will be watching it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've, I've been in that situation before at weddings where the whole place leaves, and it's you got to feel sorry for the, the bride and groom. Or uh, the the wedding party, who, that, that there's no one left there. So, I mean, I, personally, if it was me, I'd embrace it and I'd put the big screen in the function room and just say, "We're in this together." But yeah, yeah luckily, I I chose wisely. I I didn't have a, a big game on the day.
2: My sister's wedding fell on the day off the Northwest derby between Derry City and Finn Harps, and at the time, uh, Barry McNamee was playing for Derry and. Uh, Tony Mac and me were playing, was playing for Finn Harps and that was on the that was on the screen there, cousins of mine. Yeah. So everybody was just out watching that game. But it was in the nice period between the the dinner and the dancing Ah, yeah. so everyone was just too tired everyone was just spread out anyway and, yeah. and but then ready to dance, uh, yeah. that is a complete side point that is uh, us done on this week's Team 33 uh, if you like this video and you want to see more of them hit the subscribe button below on YouTube you can text us on 53106 get your thoughts in on all of the above as well or you can tweet us at Team 33 as well that's spelled out in words Phil thanks very much thanks Adam <laughs>